Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Thursday of the 31st week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, by whose gift your faithful offer you right and praiseworthy service. Grant, we pray, that we may hasten without stumbling to receive the things you have promised. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. We are the real people of the circumcision. We who worship in accordance with the Spirit of God. We have our own glory from Christ Jesus, without having to rely on a physical operation. If it came to relying on physical evidence, I should be fully qualified myself. Take any man who thinks he can rely on what is physical. I am even better qualified. I was born of the race of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrew parents and I was circumcised when I was eight days old. As for the law, I was a Pharisee. As for working for religion, I was a persecutor of the church. As far as the law can make you perfect, I was faultless. But because of Christ, I have come to consider all these advantages that I had as disadvantages. Not only that, but I believe nothing can happen that will outweigh the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let hearts rejoice who search for the Lord. Let hearts rejoice who search for the Lord. O sing to the Lord, sing his praise. Tell all his wonderful works. Be proud of his holy name. Let the hearts that seek the Lord rejoice. Let hearts rejoice who search for the Lord. Consider the Lord and his strength. Constantly seek his face. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, the judgments he spoke. Let hearts rejoice who search for the Lord. O children of Abraham, his servant, O sons of the Jacob he chose, he, the Lord, is our God. His judgments prevail in all the earth. Let hearts rejoice who search for the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. Come to me, all you that labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest, says the Lord. 
Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The tax collectors and the sinners were all seeking the company of Jesus to hear what he had to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. This man, they said, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. What man among you with a hundred sheep, losing one, would not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the missing one till he found it? And when he found it, would he not joyfully take it on his shoulders and then, when he got home, call together his friends and neighbours? Rejoice with me, he would say, I have found my sheep that was lost. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over ninety-nine virtuous men who have no need of repentance. Or again, what woman with ten drachmas would not, if she lost one, light a lamp and sweep out the house and search thoroughly till she found it? And then, when she had found it, call together her friends and neighbours. Rejoice with me, she would say, I have found the drachma I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing among the angels of God over one repentant sinner. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful gospel that we have today, Um, especially after the last couple of weeks. You know, we've been copying a bit of a hammering, to be honest. I mean, yesterday we heard that, you know, you can't be the Lord's disciple without hating your father, mother, sister, brother. The whole cycle of criticism of the hypocrisies of the Pharisees, I mean, that just makes you really uncomfortable. But at last now we've got Jesus on the topic of mercy. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over 99 virtuous men who have no need of repentance. But just pause and take a moment. Do you really buy that? More rejoicing over one repentant sinner than over 99 virtuous men who have no need of repentance. Really? It seems a bit extreme. Wouldn't you take more pleasure in the 99 who had no need of repentance? No, there's more rejoicing over the repentant sinner. There's something kind of unbelievable, you know, overly extravagant about that statement. And it reflects the two parables which are given here, right? You know, about the shepherd who would leave the 99 in the wilderness to go in search of the one lost sheep. I mean, you almost think that the shepherd's just bad at counting. And then you've got this rather strange woman who, you know, looks for this lost drachma by sweeping out her entire house. Now, a drachma's worth peanuts, like literally peanuts. It's only cents worth. And then she's going to throw a party. Rejoice with me. I found the drachma I lost. Like these other people are going to think she's a bit nuts. I thought I lost a 20 cent piece, but I looked for it all day and then I finally found it. Come, join me in my party. It all kind of defies logic. There's more rejoicing over one repentant sinner than over 99 who had no need of repentance. Well, you know what? I think Jesus is intentionally belting us over the head, confronting us with this extravagance and really challenging our preconception of who God is. You know what? I think often we have this idea that God is reluctant to give us his mercy. 
That when we come to confession and when we acknowledge our sins, there's kind of this response that comes from heaven that says, well, good, you've seen your mistakes, now grovel a little bit. And, you know, when we walk around moping and being sorry for our sins and feeling shame and disappointment and frustration at ourselves, that secretly God's up there going, good, I'm glad you noticed. And he'll forgive us, but with his arms folded. I wonder if deep down we have this idea of God as being the accuser, the divine accountant who sits there numbering our sins. I reckon that's a pretty common picture that we paint of God, probably because that's what we are like. We tend to forgive reluctantly. We're the ones who like to keep count. We're the ones who like to measure one another by keeping score. And so it would be hard to imagine God not being like that. And yet, this very gospel challenges that preconception that we may have floating around in our minds. You lose one sheep, you know, aren't you going to leave the 99? Um, No, not really. You lost a drachma, aren't you going to spend all day trying to find it? Uh, Hadn't planned on it. Yeah, that's because you don't value a sheep the way that I do. That's because you don't know the value of a drachma the way that I do. There is, in fact, more rejoicing over one repentant sinner than over 99 virtuous men who have no need of repentance. And it means that we need to let go of this picture of God as the divine accountant, the one who keeps score of every single grudge. Now, he's not indifferent to sin, far from it. But I think we take the wrong attitude towards it. Sin, for God, is something that he wants to deal with. He wants to heal. He doesn't want us to remain burdened by it. In fact, to unburden us of our sinfulness and to bring the gift of healing is something that causes him rejoicing. It's not something that he gives grudgingly, and it's not something that he bestows with his arms folded. It's not something that he asks us to grovel for. It is a gift that he revels in giving. I tell you who's the accuser. Satan. That's what the word means in Hebrew. The accuser. The one who's keeping score. The one who condemns us. The one who loads shame upon our shoulders is the dark one. So why do we think that God is the one who delights in our misery? That God is satisfied at our shame? Maybe this gospel is more challenging than we first thought. Maybe this gospel is asking us to do a little bit of unlearning and discovery of who God really is. Now, I tell you, I think there's been an attitude that's been very prevalent within the church in the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And that's the trivialization of sin. This idea that, oh, look, you know, God is merciful because he doesn't really worry about these things in our lives. You know, he doesn't care about them so much. And and so you shouldn't care about them so much either. And, you know, the collapse in the sacrament of confession, you know, doesn't that just epitomize the reality of this lack of care and concern for our sinfulness. But you know what? God's mercy doesn't trivialize sin. God is merciful not because he thinks that sin isn't a big deal, but precisely because sin is such a big deal. Look at what it does to us. Look at how it cripples us. Look at how it holds us back from living in joy and communion with others 
and peace with ourselves. Now, sin's a real problem, and God rejoices in being able to unburden us from it. The Lord is not reluctant in giving his mercy. He loves us so much that he longs to heal us. And I think it's with this attitude that we need to approach the sacrament of confession. It's not a torture chamber. It's not the place where God kind of sticks our snouts in our sins and kind of makes us wade through them in shame so that we don't do them again. No, it's the encounter with a merciful Father who longs to heal us, to bring us life. A moment that is of rejoicing not only for the penitent, for the mercy that he receives, but a moment of rejoicing for the mercy that God can give. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing among the angels of God over one repentant sinner. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over 99 virtuous men who have no need of repentance. Why do we struggle to get that through our thick skulls? Or... Why do we struggle to let that penetrate into our hard hearts? I think if God were a banker, he'd be easier to deal with. But God is our Father, and he loves us. It means that the mercy that he extends to us, an expression of his love, calls for us to love him back. Not reluctantly. Not by means of cold calculations. But wholeheartedly with all our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength. To love him like that because of the mercy he has shown us. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, Come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. 
At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.